Well, before we pray, I want to remind you that uh, this morning is the closing sermon in a series entitled Hoarders Anonymous, How Much is Enough and What's It All About? We've been wrestling and struggling together as we think about possessions and our relationship to them and how we uh, learn to have an appropriate relationship with things and not let them own us. And so I pray that this morning we'll sort of close out together, uh, even if we don't answer all the questions, we'll know Uh, what we need to work on and what we need to think about. I'll be preaching from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, the famous story of Zacchaeus uh, and Jesus and their encounter, Luke 19, 1 through 10, and I'll be reading from that in just a moment. Now, before I pray, I'd like to remind us of a very important community ministry uh, that our church uh, offers every Thanksgiving Day. We want to remember Fred McKay and all of the volunteers In our prayers uh, this week, as Thursday, we'll be feeding hundreds of people, and many of you have signed up to help or bring food or to deliver or to make other points of contact, and we're grateful for that. But it's a tremendous ministry, and it's a tremendous offering to our community. By the way, you know that we do uh, twice-a-month community meals on Thursday nights. Last Thursday, uh, we fed over 100 people on Thursday night. Uh, many of them homeless, people coming from everywhere, and uh, we're grateful for that uh, opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ, and frankly, we're just sort of bowled over by all of the need. Uh, Some of them are joining us on Wednesday nights for meals as well, and we're establishing relationships with many of them. I visited one of them in the jail this week, and uh, we're, we're able to build some bridges, so thank you to all of you who have a hand in that ministry as we make the love of Jesus concrete and real in people's lives. Let's bow together and let's pray together, asking God's blessings on all of our ministries and all of our offerings of love. Loving and merciful God, the bounty of your blessings simply overwhelms us. We're ashamed and embarrassed when we look around at all we have and all you've given to us, the tangible blessings, the invisible, the spiritual ones, the the permanent relationship with you, the, the forgiveness of sins, all the creature comforts that we enjoy. We say thank you and we bless your name. And we pray that this morning you might forgive us for our sins and the selfishness that would strangle that generosity that is in us through the Holy Spirit. We pray that every day you'd make us a more generous people, sharing witness and sharing service and sharing of our possessions. We pray your richest blessings on Fred and all of the staff and all who work this coming Thanksgiving Day. And we pray for all of the hungry and lonely who will pass through our doors. And for the approaching Advent season, when so many hungry souls will be wanting to know what the message of Jesus really means. As our church ministers in the community, we pray a special touch, the special touch of eternity, that you might awaken souls to the possibilities of a relationship with you, that the deepest hunger of life might might be satisfied. Lord, we pray your blessings on those in our congregation suffering and struggling, those grieving, 
We pray for our military personnel everywhere on the earth, and especially for those separated from family, that you would bless them and their family. Bless those troops who have returned and who are struggling with mental and emotional health issues and struggling with employment and family relationships. We pray, dear God, your blessings on all our mission partners today. And now as we take up this text and as we explore what it means to follow Jesus and to learn to share and not let things hold us, give us insight, give us patience, give us courage to look within and to hear your voice. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, the first ten verses. If you're able, would you stand, please? And I'll read this aloud. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. He, a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded any, any, anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. Well, The Hunger Games is a series of uh, novels uh, and now made into two very successful movies. How many of you have already been to see the movie The Hunger Games? Oh, not many movies. Yeah, maybe a few. Uh, There's some of you who went to see it who won't admit it. I know, that's okay. You'll tell me at the door afterwards. The Hunger Games is a series of novels uh, set in post-apocalyptic North America. It's, it's fantasy. It's sort of a little bit of a fiction role there. And uh, it's captured the imagination of people. In fact, I was uh, picking up sticks in my backyard uh, this Friday, and I pretended I was uh, Katniss uh, shooting arrows at people, you know, and just having a great time. The, uh, the storyline goes like this, that uh, there are districts in the post-apocalyptic world, and there is a capital district that is very wealthy. There are other regions or districts that are very, very poor, and the rich district plans on keeping those other districts poor. At one point, there was an attempted rebellion by one of the districts, and that rebellion was quelled. It was, it was smashed. And to remind all of the poor districts to stay in their place, the capital district has instituted these cruel hunger games in which people compete against one another and kill each other off. And the message that's sent to the other districts who are poor is, stay in your place. There's a place for you and a place for us. 
and they'll never be the same. It's the uh, haves and the have-nots and sort of an ultimate cosmic sort of fight. Now, at first reading, or maybe at the 100th reading of the story of Zacchaeus, you would think that it's a harmless children's story. You remember singing in Bible school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree. I'd sing it for you, but Rod would be out of a job. You know, you'd just say, he's redundant, you know. Well, we sing that and and we think it's a harmless children's story. And it's a beautiful children's story, but there's a whole lot more going on underneath. It's not harmless at all. In fact, it's very, very offensive and troubling. It's about the haves and the have-nots. It goes deep. It's about uh, the wealthy oppressing the poor. And it's a very, very revolutionary kind of story when you read it in its biblical setting. I mentioned to you back in January, I don't expect you to remember this, but when we started this series of sermons for the year in the Gospel of Luke, I reminded us that Bible historians tell us that in Palestine in Jesus' day, 10% of the population controlled all the wealth. 10% controlled all the wealth. 90% of the population in Palestine in Jesus' day were peasants. They worked to produce the goods that the 10% enjoyed, and historians tell us the best they can figure that that 10% wealthy consumed two-thirds of all of the goods and services that the 90% produced. So there's a system of injustice that's in place in Jesus' day and Zacchaeus' day. And the setting of the story is Jericho. Jericho is a busy trade route. Lots of taxation going on there because people are traveling to and from districts and nations. Not only is it a trade route, but Jericho is a center of agriculture. Jericho is a center of construction. So lots of taxation, lots of money changing hands. And Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is not just a tax gatherer, he is a chief tax gatherer. That means he's kind of high on the pyramid, and there are just lots of tax gatherers under him, and he's getting a cut of everything He is a Judean who is collecting taxes for the cruel, occupying Roman government. Zacchaeus is despised by the Judeans, his own people. He's considered unclean and a sinner. He is considered a traitor. But one of uh, Luke's phrases lets us know that Zacchaeus doesn't seem to mind all that because he simply says in a very brief phrase, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was making money on the backs of the poor because he could charge any rate he could get by with. The the Roman government just wanted their cut. They said, you can keep whatever you can extort from people. And so Zacchaeus had to come to the place where he saw himself enmeshed in the injustice of the day. He had to come to the place where he saw himself as part of the problem of a system that was very, very cruel and unfair. Now, back in January, because we were going to be spending this entire year in the Gospel of Luke, 
we invited Dr. David May from Central Seminary to come and teach us our winter Bible study and overview of the Gospel of Luke. And he said something that I had never thought of before in all the years I've been studying and teaching and preaching. He said, there's a second reason why Jesus targeted tax collectors to be converted to the kingdom. Not just because they were outcasts and hated by others, and Jesus wanted to make an example of making everybody welcome. There's a second reason, and Dr. May reminded us of that, and I never really thought about it. He said it was a shrewd political move on Jesus' part, knowing that if he could convert the tax collectors to the kingdom of God, they would have a change of values, and they would no longer be extorting and oppressing the poor, but they would be practicing justice and mercy. And somebody comes up who can't pay their taxes, and rather than making the taxes exorbitant, reducing the rate. You have a new baby. You can pay me more next year. Someone else comes up. You just lost your home. Don't worry about it. I'll write out an IOU. Ways to to practice justice in a world that was so unfair. Jesus very strategically went after tax gatherers because he wanted to make make the world fairer. Now, a study was recently published in the United States. Uh, A group of independent economists from different parts of the world studied the United States IRS records that are publicized. What they found was that the incomes of the 1% wealthiest people in the United States... Last year, the income of the wealthiest 1% in the United States rose 19.6%. Because they're talking about recession recovery last year. The other 99% of us, our income rose last year 1%. Now... There are a lot of other figures from that study that was released, uh, charts and graphs and everything else, but I just wanted to show you that sort of a, a snapshot. And, and, and I wanted us to think about the fact that there are ways of hoarding not just things, but privileges. There are ways of hoarding not just things, but privileges. And that sometimes we are inextricably bound up in a system that is unjust, and, and we don't even realize it. We're not overtly doing that, but by not doing other things, we are sometimes participating in systems that are unfair, like Zacchaeus. I heard a man say not too long ago, he said, if you look at something in your community that is unfair and you walk away from it, something dies inside of you. When you look at something in your world that is unjust and you take a piece of paper and tape across that scene of injustice, do not disturb. Something in your your soul shrivels up and dies. We become less human when we see things that are unjust. We don't do anything about them. Uh, Bishop Basil of uh, Basil the Great, uh, who was bishop of Caesarea, had these biting words. He lived in the 300s A.D., but they're still relevant. When someone steals a man's clothes, we call him a thief. 
Should we not give the same name to one who could clothe the naked and does not? Bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The money you hoard up belongs to the poor. That's tough to hear. And you notice I put the quote at the bottom, so you'll be mad at Basil the Great, not at me. He's dead. You can't hurt him. But those are sharp words. Those sting. And, the, and, and you know, I'm not sure I want to let those in. I may just leave those on the doorstep for a little while because that's, that's tough to listen to. But that's what this whole series about Hoarders Anonymous has been about. And the tough, tough gospel word that Luke has for us about hoarding and about things, what Jesus had to say. So what do we do about this stuff? How do we get free from a lifestyle and from a, from a culture that's about acquiring and accumulating and taking care of me and, and the rest can take care of themselves? Well, Luke tells us in verse 8, Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus, stood there and said, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And the if, by the way, in the Greek is a conjunctive that means since I have defrauded. I wish the English translations would note that. It doesn't mean I don't think I've cheated anybody, but if I have, I'll sure be generous. It means because I have. I will pay back four times. See, Zacchaeus wanted to get free of stuff. When he met Jesus, he came into a new relationship with his possessions. He looked at them differently. He looked at his money differently. Zacchaeus uh, was detoxing. He'd recognized his addiction to things, to money. And he was detoxing. He was purging himself. He was getting free He was coming into a new relationship with stuff. That's what John Wesley was getting at. Uh, This great line, many of you know that quote. He said, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Lest it should find its way into my heart. I get rid of it just as quickly as I can, lest it burn me and find a a way to burrow down into my heart. Now, uh, some people are turned off when the church talks about money. I get that. But I have an answer. Read your Bible. This story... In Luke 19, it's not an innocent children's story. It's a story about money and how money and things can take over our lives unless and until we put Jesus first and get a right relationship with stuff and money. And I know some people who were confused or turned off by last week's Commitment Sunday where we had people come and and leave commitment cards uh, about our intentions for the year 2014 and giving uh, through uh, the church budget for Christ's work. But again, I say read your Bible because that practice is very, very biblical. In fact, let me show you some things that Zacchaeus did as a model, a role model of giving. Uh, I want you to notice how he models for us what we ought to be practicing as givers. 
First of all, his giving was very intentional. There was nothing random about it. He told Jesus about his plan. Secondly, his commitment was public. He said in front of Jesus and everyone, this is my plan for financial restitution. It was percentage giving. He talked in, in a conversation of percentage because some can do more, others can't do as, uh, do as much, but percentage-wise makes it all equal sacrifice. And he could do a lot because he'd done a lot to people. His giving reflected his connection with Jesus Christ. His giving reflected that Jesus was transforming his life and he had a new set of values, a new way of connecting. And his giving accomplished good because people who had been suffering, who'd been oppressed, who'd been cheated, who'd been mistreated, were going to have money in their pocket. They were going to be able to to take care of their needs. His giving was accomplishing good. And finally, his giving set him free. He was no longer slave. He was released from that captivity. And it's a beautiful model, a beautiful story. Jesus announced, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. And then the closing verse says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I love that verse. But, you know, we've taken the word saved, the words saved and lost, and we've narrowed them down. We talk about lost as if the only way you can be lost is to not have the hope of going to heaven when you die. Now, that's the important one. The quartet sang about it. We all sang about it. That's the most important way of being saved. But it's not the only biblical way. It's not the only way Luke talked about being saved or lost. Because the word lost means to be destroyed or ruined. And Zacchaeus was lost and ruined and destroyed before he ever died. Because of his greed, because of his self-centeredness, Zacchaeus was was a shriveled-up soul. He was lost, he was ruined, and, and Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you were made for better than this. Zacchaeus, you were made for more than this. Zacchaeus, there's more to your life than this stuff you're acquiring. And he put Zacchaeus back again spiritually and he restored him and he lifted him up. And the announcement of the gospel this morning is that it doesn't matter how rich you are, Jesus can save you from yourself and your your things. It doesn't matter how poor you are, Jesus can save you. It doesn't matter how broken you are, it doesn't matter how many bad things you do, You've done. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is being destroyed and that which is falling apart and that which is ruined. It doesn't matter what your troubling situation is, what kind of slavery you're in, Jesus can deliver you and rescue you. Several uh, years ago, I was watching an NFL game on TV. Al Michaels was the uh, announcer. He was calling the game. The football game was rolling along. And he he said something that was sort of interesting about a a running back. I don't even remember who the running back was. But he said about the running back, he said, he does not possess great speed, but he has a great sense of where he is on the field. He does not possess great speed, 
but he has a great sense of where he is on the playing field. It's a good compliment. Maybe that's what we once said about us. She wasn't the richest person, but she had a great sense of her relationship to things. He wasn't the most successful in his field, but he had a great sense of where he was in life. He didn't own a lot of things, but he always knew what time it was in his life. Those are good things to strive for. At the beginning of the story, Zacchaeus was very rich and very dissatisfied. At the end of the story, Zacchaeus is not quite so rich, but very satisfied. And Jesus is the one who made the difference. Very rich, not very satisfied, not so rich, and very satisfied. And Jesus made the difference. Let's pray.